I've now spoken to myself for over an hour on this podcast. Surely you're tired of my monotone voice by now. Okay, well, here we go again. Today was the second day of the weekend workshops at the Flock conference. I'd signed up in advance for the Logic Mentoring Workshop and arrived at the Mathematical Institute in search of the boardroom. For some reason, this turned out to be on the fourth floor of the building, away from all of the other sessions. After taking a lift up to the fourth floor, I entered a medium-sized room with a large rectangular table. Clearly, the format of this session was to be different from the others I've attended so far. When I signed up to the workshops, this was the one I wasn't entirely sure about. I didn't really know what to book on the Sunday. The first talk was from a professor giving some tips on how to get the most out of a conference like Flock. She gave some good advice for how to network and meet new people related to your subject area. She spoke a bit about the importance of presenting your work and finding inspiration to give you direction with future work. The dynamics of the room were more interactive and there were a lot more questions throughout the talk. I was surprised she didn't suggest making a mini-podcast series to get the most out of a conference. The second talk was titled, Asking Questions to Yourself and Others. Again, it gave good advice, this time on the topic of how to ask questions during a talk, and the different kinds of questions you might want to ask, perhaps to help your understanding, or to see if the presenter has explored a particular line of thinking. Much of the talk was focused on the difference between good and bad questions, and he proposed a checklist of things you should ask yourself before putting a question forward. There was some general advice on how to respond to difficult questions, where perhaps the asker rambles on for a long time, or undermines something you've said. It was very informative. That being said, I left the first session feeling like I wasn't really the intended audience for this workshop. All the advice was given in an academic context, and I found it hard to relate to some of the things being said. I also feel like I've been to quite a few of these kinds of presentations before, and I really wanted to keep my focus on the technical topics, as that's primarily the reason I'm here. Therefore, I decided to switch it up and go to my second choice workshop for the remainder of the day. I attended the Joint Workshop on Proof Complexity and Quantifiable Boolean Formulae. Sounds fun, right? I thought so too. In the same vein as yesterday, perhaps I should give a brief overview of what quantifiable Boolean formulae are. Well, if you remember back to the SAT problem, we're basically given a big Boolean equation and asked to find a way to make it true, i.e. satisfy it, by coming up with true or false values for each of its variables. QBF, as it's often abbreviated, takes this one step further. We make these Boolean equations a bit more complicated and add a quantifier for each of the variables. A quantifier is either universal or existential. You might have seen the mathematical symbols for these. The universal one looks like an upside-down A, and the existential one looks like a backwards E. Now you can impress your friends with your knowledge of obscure mathematical symbols. Anyway, when we add these quantifiers, our task becomes more challenging. We lose a degree of freedom for the universally quantified variables, and have to make our formula true no matter whether they're true or false. So now, you only have to come up with values for the existentially quantified variables, but the values you come up with have to make the formula true for every possible combination of the universally quantified variables, of which there are an exponential number. Pretty tough, right? In fact, it's proven to be much harder than SAT, 
SAT is the canonical NP-complete problem, whereas QBF is its analogue, but it's something called a P-space-complete problem. It's the next rung up on the ladder of difficulty. QBF has an interesting overlap with proof. When we run one of these software verification tools that I mentioned in a previous episode, they usually generate some kind of proof, which is a set of steps a human or some other independent system can work through to check the correctness of the result. Solving a QBF problem also generates a proof. It's no longer sufficient to just give a set of the true or false values for each variable, because you need to demonstrate the formula holds no matter what. And given there's an exponential number of combinations for the universal variables, ideally you'd like a better way to express the correctness of your solution, something much shorter. I settled in for the workshop a few minutes early and introduced myself to Fuji, Fuji is from Japan and works in the field of proof complexity. He's trying to find an efficient way to demonstrate that two proofs are equivalent, say, if they come from two independent QBF solvers. Fuji was very friendly and explained he used to live in England when he was five years old. I asked him if he remembered anything and he said not very much. He pulled out a few coins and pointed at them. He remembered the shapes of 20 and 50 pence coins. They don't have anything like this in Japan. The workshop itself was quite interesting, but I definitely struggled a lot. The people in the room were experts in the field, and I only really know the basics of the problem definition. The field of QBF solving is relatively young though, so I got a lot out of a talk that surveyed the available techniques. There was also a talk on how to model chess problems in QBF. Like SAT, there's a QBF solving competition each year too, this year, some of the chess problems are included in the competition. That means these solvers will be racing to find a way to checkmate their opponents in n moves or less. I think n ranged from 4 to 9, but I can't remember exactly. An interesting property of these solvers is you can ask them to generate examples of the problem being solved. I've played around with generating Sudoku puzzles from SAT solvers, for example. That means you can generate a seemingly endless supply of chess problems where one player can checkmate the other in some number of moves. There are existing systems that can do this already, but it's something that just falls out naturally from this process. By the end of the day, I was feeling burnt out. To keep my focus on a topic I'm not too familiar with was a challenge, and I left feeling tired. I reflected on whether I should have taken today off as a bit of a break, and I think the next time I go to something like this, I'll bear that in mind. Without some time to recuperate, your concentration levels drop, and you can't take as much in. Tomorrow is the official start of the International SAT Conference. This lasts for four days, and was the primary reason I decided to come here, so I'm quite looking forward to it. Last year it was in Australia, which was just a bit too far to travel. Check back tomorrow to hear all about it. Thanks for listening.